tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with Brethi Sahi Levesque, President and Chief Operating Officer of luxury resale company The Real Real. Both luxury and resale have boomed in the last few years, but that hasn't come without its challenges. So I wanted to talk to Rethi about The Real Real's road to profitability, including how it's working with brands and how it's remaining competitive in the increasingly crowded resale market. Welcome, Rethi. So nice to see you, Jill. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here on the Friday before a long holiday weekend. Oh my gosh, we're so spoiled here. <laughs> I was just scrolling on your site while we were getting set up. There's a little little sale happening. <laughs> yeah. Oh my yes. gosh. Oh. I did some shopping too this morning. <laughs> I mean, it's the best place. Oh my gosh. We this wasn't even a talking point, but I would love to ask. I was talking with PR while we were getting set up. <laughs> it's my it's my version of like scrolling when I'm passing time. Like, you know, there's a lot of stress. There's a lot of bad news in the world. Some things are just so annoying. Sometimes you don't want to see people dancing around on TikTok. <laughs> but anyway, it's just like, it's what I do. Like, would love to learn more about like, I don't know, do you have any some fun facts and stats about like time spent on your app or um, return visits or anything that to me would not blow my mind because I'm probably like fueling these numbers. But yeah, yeah, your, no, your app's popular. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Well, it's so funny that you said that because we did our um, luxury resale report that uh, we do about twice a year. And um, it was really interesting. We saw customers um, mostly do that exact same thing. And they said that exact same thing. Instead of spending time on Instagram and social or reading the news and scrolling, they'd much rather look for, you know, the Manolo slides, the sandals in their size. Um, and so they're spending hours and hours um, a year on our site, um, kind of doing that same thing and just scrolling through and trying to find it. And, you know, we, we've kind of, um, it's, it's fun. And we didn't mean for this to happen when we launched, but there's this gamification aspect of it because you can obsess it. And then we tell you when it goes on sale and then you can also now save it in your save search. And I do this, like I'm looking for the perfect pair of black Manola slides for the summer. And I um, saved it in my size. And now we'll tell you when we get more in there. So it's a little bit of a hunt and it's kind of been gamified a bit. So it's really fun for sure. It's so fun. I didn't know I could do all these things, but I will be doing that. <laughs> well, Another like little secret, Jill, is Another way I shop is I go to editors, pay new arrivals, and then editors picks. And our editors have the best taste. So check that out too. <laughs> I definitely will. Who are your editors? I have to ask. <laughs> I know. Well, I mean, they come from all over the place, but our merchants, it's our merchandising team. And um, they do a lot of the luxury resale report. And you'll see them kind of in the news talking about what the trends are and what they're seeing. They do the, they did the upcycling collection. Um, they're great. They have awesome taste. They pick out all the product for the photo shoots and the commercials and great eye. So I just, and they're all, you know, young and in their twenties and on trend. And I'm like, okay, what are they wearing? That's what I yeah. want to be wearing. <laughs> totally same. Well, I've been a real, real user for a very long time. And honestly, like to me, it was my first like 
introduction of I could be shopping luxury resale online. Like, I, I don't know if you were the the first that was offering maybe national shipping and that was on a larger scale. But tell me about your growth trajectory, your evolution. Um, and I, let's start there. But I also want to know about your customer because I'm, you know, 43 years old. And just because I got hooked in earlier and have stayed with you for years, like, and set, there are platforms that kind of more so cater to Gen Z, like the Depops of the world, which is a totally different ball game. I'm bouncing around. Do you have an older customer? Is it span the gamut? Yeah, it definitely spans, you know, our millennial group. Um, is very large. And then uh, Gen Z is the fastest growing um, customer base, right? And it's really intuitive to that younger demographic to buy resale. I'd say when we first started now 12 years ago, which is crazy, you and I are the same age. Um, we we were, um, it was interesting because there was the stigma around resale, even 12 years ago, it doesn't seem that long. And it was intuitive to me because I always was at Goodwill and thrifting and uh, doing that thing. And, um, it, you know, they, but we found that especially the sellers, when they were selling on our site, they loved that they were earning cash for it. This was the first time that they can earn money for it. But we found that our buyers didn't want to tell their friends. So they, and it was a couple different reasons what we, and what we saw in the qualitative data as well as the quantitative data is um, they didn't want their size to be gone. If number one, yes. and they were worried that there was a limited inventory. And number two, there was that stigma of wearing someone's used shoes or dress, or does it smell like resale? And they have this idea of walking into a consignment store and it, um, having this certain smell to it. And it was really important for us when we opened our stores to kind of take that away and say, this is new to you. And how does this still feel like a luxury um, experience and special? And you scored something, you know, that you uh, wouldn't have gotten otherwise. Um, how do we democratize luxury in that way, but still add value to it? Um, you know, from the primary market. Um, so, you know, the evolution I could go, I know, I, I don't, I can't remember if we talked about it last time, but, um, you know, when we first started, we, um, it, everything sold out within seconds. Um, we had a few hundred items on the site. And that's when Julie and I looked at each other and we're like, uh, this is, I think this is going to work. <laughs> and we need more something. product. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, we kind of looked for new product and, you know, the Paula Abdul was one of our first sellers and she was so awesome. And, uh, we were so excited that she wanted to consign with us. We, you know, had her stylist on the, on the phone. And, um, that's kind of how we got started. I drove around to my friend's houses, to Julie's friend's houses and, um, and then Paula Abdul. And then, you know, the rest was kind of history. And then people started sending us Birkins in the mail that wasn't even, that weren't even insured. And this is crazy. <laughs> yes, that's fantastic. I did not know Paula Abdul <laughs> was an early seller. That's such a fun story. And I would assume, I mean, you've got celebs rotating their, their amazing stuff at all times. I'm sure you can't share, but like... <laughs> I know oh. some of them are, will be public. Uh, like Lena Dunham, you know, did a sale that was public um, uh, for charity. You know, we've had the Kardashians. We've got 
but yes, most celebrities probably consign with us, but our confidence is confidential for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that makes sense to me. Competing for those sellers, it's it's high competition. Yeah, they want to know that they're getting a certain commission. They want to know that it's coming fast. They want it to be easy as can be. What more can you tell me about that competition? And is it more so for a while there, I feel like our conversations were like, you know, a lot of luxury shoppers, like, like you, you, you did say this, like they haven't, resale hasn't been in their mindset. Like they wouldn't even think to, I'm going to buy this with resale value in mind. But yeah, tell me about the, the competition for sellers. Yeah. You know, it's super interesting. I mean, we keep an eye on competition because we don't want to be so insular. So really important that we're always looking and understanding what other people are doing and especially kind of the newer players always doing cool things and um, want to watch. But, you know, we take everything and we give you cash back. Um, you know, our sellers are pretty happy with us when I look at our NPS score and we don't want to take advantage of that. We want to continue to optimize their experience. Um, one of our pillars is um, win with our sellers, you know, obsess over our sellers um, because they really do, um, you know, our, our demand. Another way to put it is everything sells through. Um, when you're selling, you know, marquee brands at a discount, there's a buyer for it. And the inventory turns over really quickly. Like most of our product sells within 90 days. So we're a product, we're a supply constrained business. And it's really important that we treat our sellers really well. Um, I will say we were going really fast a few years ago and then COVID hit. And we had um, a hard time, to be honest with you. And it oh, was... Yeah. Um, we were having scaling issues, you, you know, things were tough. I would say we're going really quickly. Um, but we right-sized that since, and we've actually slowed down our growth, um, and make sure that our growth is profitable growth. And it's not just any kind of product that we're taking, that we're taking the right product. And we always say we're going back to our core or back to the future, um, because that's how we started, right? That we were certain brands at certain price points. Um, and we've invested a lot in the seller experience. So for example, we've invested in a concierge, we're calling them concierge pods, but now all of our sellers have a dedicated person that they can call if they're having any kind of issue with their consignment. They're, you know, wanting to understand pricing. They're wanting to understand attribution. Um, how do we make the experience even better for them? So that's been really important to us. And when we launched those um, back in October of last year, our net promoter score for our sellers went up 26 points. So oh um, we're looking at more optimizations like that and just listening to our sellers. Again, I, I read that uh, uh, I read, you know, the NPS comments every single day on the seller side, because First of all, you know, it's so important to me that we get it right for them. They're the heartbeat of our company. They're super important. Um, and, you know, we had a hiccup. We weren't doing that well during COVID. And then we had the great resignation and SLA slowed down. And um, so how do we, you know, make sure that we're getting back on track and we don't keep our eye off the ball and, you know, the whole company, we had our quarterly or half business review knows that you know, sellers are really important. How do we win with our sellers? 
Yes. Tell me about the challenges of COVID. I'm sure that had to do with like even just sellers leaving their home to ship something to you. Like um, what were the roadblocks um, and other, I guess, customer behavior? Yeah. Well, you know, when COVID hit, a part of me didn't even think we would be able to survive because we were getting product from people's homes. Our warehouses had to all shut down. We couldn't um, send product to anyone, um, especially in California where the laws were much more strict. You know, even in um, our our warehouse was, uh, I think, a half a million square feet. and We couldn't even have 20 people in there, right? So it was really tough. Um, But, you know, with that, we did some things. We had to furlough a lot of employees just to pay the bills because our revenue cut in half. Um, and, you know, luckily we were able to get back on track, but there was no demand for clothing anymore, you know, for that period of time, everyone was trying to figure it out. So that was, I'd say a really hard time. Um, but I will say that, you know, we did some things to kind of help mitigate the risks. Like we went out and bought, we had, you know, cash on the balance sheet. We bought product because we couldn't get into people's homes. We, and you know, that was one of the pieces of profitability. You could argue that we bought too much product and we were sitting on product and we continued to buy product even after we could get into people's homes. So we had to right size that a bit. Um, that was the main thing um, along with the furloughing of employees. And then the, on the customer behavior piece, we saw that people, like I mentioned, weren't buying ready to wear. They were continuing to buy handbags, jewelry and watches. And oh, funny. I think they saw it as an investment piece and, you know, they, it holds its resale value, holds its value in general. And, you know, that was that there was the whole trend about zoom earrings and zoom jewelry and um, people did have some disposable income, right? Cause they couldn't travel and so forth. So we were able to continue to sell that, which helped us um, through the pandemic. It didn't completely shut down. And then as business started to kind of revamp, we hired, you know, unfurloughed all those people. I don't know if unfurloughed is a word, but we could <laughs> bring those people back and um, and then, you know, got back to people's homes and kind of shift. And I'd say 2022 was the first normal, in quotes, year where like the consumer behavior started to um, be more predictable again, which really helped for planning. Because um, I don't know if you remember, but after COVID was the great resignation and we yes. lost a lot of people and it was tough. It was exhausting. <laughs> it's exhausting. Well, thank goodness we are stabling out here. <laughs> Is that a word? <laughs> but uh, yes, tell me about that product you were buying. Was this like largely like brands had their own problems, like overstock and, and things like that? It's, it was coming from brands. That's like, right. Yes, yes, that makes a lot of that's sense. That's exactly right. And we're like, well, maybe we we call it our vendor business. It's it's usually a very small percentage of our business, but again, during that time it wasn't. And um they couldn't sell their product either. So like, well, maybe we'll just buy it. Yes. <laughs> so we were trying to figure it out too. And I would say that we bought too much of it. Again, in hindsight, I would have still done it because we had to keep our business going. Um, but I would have, um, bought less of it and I, we would have stopped buying faster than we did and and we continued to buy. Yeah. When you were talking about you were in people's homes, 
at one point, I think it was when I was living in Chicago, and I'm sure you've only maybe did this or do this in select cities, but like, yeah, I was selling. Uh, somebody came to my house and kind of picked through my stuff, tell, told me what I could be selling on the real real. Um, I mean, you know, I I literally was like, the real real's coming. I got dressed up. <laughs> But tell me, are you still offering that? Or it's more, you know, it's a new digital world. Everything's really happening digitally. No, we still do that. We have our Mm -hmm. luxury managers. Again, another core, you know, secret sauce, I would say, of our business. And we have hundreds of them in the field um, nationally. And they have these relationships with the sellers. So they'll come to you. And, you know, this is how we think about community, too, because they educate sellers on what they should buy in the primary market. They educate them on uh, what resale value looks like. You know, people don't know that certain brands don't hold their resale value while others really do. Um, And that's, you know, the luxury resale report that we publish a couple of times a year help with that and things go trend up and down. Uh, So that is really, really important to us. And, you know, they bring in millions of dollars, like each luxury manager manager will bring in millions of dollars a year um, in product. So, and the, the best stuff comes from people's homes, like from people's closets, right? For sure. Well, tell me about kind of right tracking the the inventory. Um, you, you bought product at that one point, but also um, I think you talked about kind of streamlining what brands you're carrying. I know there were some adjustments maybe in terms of categories and home. Um, yes. What was that? What, where have you landed? So where we've landed is, um, you know, we stopped buying product unless it's marquee product. Um, so we're talking high-end handbags, jewelry, and watches. Um, those are the pieces uh, that have the most gro- gross profit dollars kind of fall to the bottom line when we buy them. So uh, we use something called the trade get paid now uh, channel. So if you, uh, Jill, were able to come, you know, we come into our store and you had a Rolex watch, we know the sell through on that. Um, it's pretty predictable and we'll go ahead and just buy it from you. Um, and some people want cash right away versus waiting for consignment. So on certain products, we'll do that. Um, so we'll continue uh, to do a little bit of that, but we won't buy as much ready to wear anymore. We got we got out of the buy uh, channel. Um, the other thing that we did was we looked at all of our categories. Some of our categories, um, you know, weren't profitable. Home, for example, um, people do that. Uh, other companies do that really well. We don't want to to do that. Um, kids, these items sell for sometimes under twenty five dollars. Again brands, there's companies that do that really well, not right for us. Um, So we had to kind of take a look at pieces, uh, things that uh, honestly, anything that resells for under $100, probably not the best place for us unless you're okay, receiving, you know, 10, $15 for that item. Um, We had to take up the commission rate in that category pretty significantly, um, because our business model just doesn't work um, to sell those items. So um, still, you know, over a hundred dollars, really great product and really good for our, our business. And it works really well. Um, and so we just kind of had to right size in that way. And during the pandemic, um, you know, we were taking Nike shorts, Nike's, I love Nike shorts. They're great, but it was getting a little imbalanced as far as the product mix goes. 
So tell me how you're working with brands otherwise. If you're not you're not buying their product, um, sometimes there's collaborations of sorts. What's happening? Yeah. Um, you know, we, our first collaboration back in the day, I think this was 10 years ago now, I can't even remember, was with Neiman Marcus. Um, that was a great partnership, sending customers back into the, uh, their store um, with cash was kind of what that, you know, the round tripping looks like, or the life cycle of luxury looks like. Stella McCartney was one of the uh, first brands to work with us. And we continue to work with her again, mostly in the round tripping space. So when you can sign a Stella McCartney item, you get cash back in to, to buy new um, and a credit to buy new for the new season or whatever it is. Um, we did the same partnership with Gucci, Jimmy Choo, Burberry. There's a few others coming up that I can't mention yet that are super exciting. Um, so brands are start, starting to see that we add value to their items in the primary market. Um, the customers love it because then they can go back into the store and buy new. Um, so it, it's, it's a win-win for, for everyone. And we'll continue doing those. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Tell me about authentication and the importance of getting it right. If, if you're, you're leveraging some of those newer technologies, if you believe AI can work or you could maybe authenticate via an app, what does it take? Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is another piece of our secret sauce. Like when I think of like what makes the real world work, I think of our sales team, like our luxury managers. I think of the technology that powers our authentication team and then the technology that powers our pricing team as well. So I'd say those are like the three things that are really important to what we do. Um, authentication is art and science, right? It really is um, a combination of these two pieces. Jill, we have to get you to our um, authentication center because I don't know if we've ever given you a tour. So we'll do that no. but, um, because I think it will all kind of, you know, get into place for you. If you saw them, um, they're, they're amazing. I mean, they're the best of the best. They, their backgrounds come from anywhere from Sotheby's to self-taught and they're obsessed with luxury and oh, cool. you know, they know from the smell and the feel of these items, whether they are real or not. And um, now we've powered a lot of what they do and the learnings um, with the human piece into the science piece. So um, we've launched something called Vision and Shield, a couple different uh, things. They By the end of the year, most of our handbags will be authenticated via machine learning. So on a pixel level, it's a piece of hardware that can scan and it will tell you if it's um, authentic or not, or if it needs another look or whatever it is. And, you know, we are very cautious. If we're on the fence, it could be real. But if we're on the fence, we will not take the item. Um, and we also worked with the University of Arizona to patent technology around um, the consistency and the measuring of the stones. And so that's all being automated right now. So you can take a, a stone, put it under this microscope, it will measure um, to, you know, very consistently what what that stone looks like. And that took out so many hours um, for the gemologist. Oh, sure. um, so that was a big deal. And so now we can just process more items. Um, we also know if it's a first time seller who has sent us a fake item in the past. Um, now, you know, via machine learning, we're able to uh, kind of move those items through a different channel or funnel. 
Um, you'll be surprised how many people tried to get one past us, hundreds of thousands of fakes that we've kept off the market. And that's really important to us because, you know, a, one of our pillars is respecting the craftsmanship of these items. We are all working here because we love luxury. It makes us happy. It excites us, you know, all the things. And we want to make sure that we can keep fakes off the market. So, you know, we, we'd like to get it a hundred percent, right. We don't always, um, but we try really damn hard to, and I will say that we, I, I believe a hundred percent that we do more than any other company to keep fakes off the market. And we even work with the local authorities. We've gotten, um, you know, uh, someone that sent us hundreds of a brand that you would know, um, that was very, uh, good, very good and authentic items. And we turn them in to the local authorities because, you know, it's really important, again, that we um, continue to take these uh, fakes off the site and kind of the don't nice. mess with us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it's really, it's really fun. And it's, you know, the science piece is really fun. And if you saw our gem lab and our watchmakers, um, I think you'd be impressed by their experience for sure. Sounds amazing. Well, tell me, you talked about when you were first coming to market, kind of the importance of a store to kind of like explain what you're doing here. Um, what's your current take on on physical retail? I, I know stores were closed. Are are they are they all? Are you still have some locations? And how many is ideal? Yes, I think I just remembered. I think that's the last time we talked when we opened our Soho store. I think that's why I was I there so. for the launch. And I yes. remember walking to your studio from the Soho store. It's all coming back to me now. <laughs> um, so yes, that was our first store, Soho, however many years that was. <laughs> and um, we had 19 locations last year. We did bring that down to 13. Um, and no, I mean, the stores are great. We are very optimistic about the stores. 40, sorry, 30% of our new sellers come from stores, continue to come oh, from nice. stores. Um, these stores bring in so much supply, which because we're a supply constrained business, really important. We like to meet the sellers where they are. So either, you know, have a luxury manager come to your house, someone that lives in Soho or Brentwood in LA can just drop by, meet with a gemologist or watchmaker, handbag expert. Um, these continue to be, um, a pillar to, uh, acquire supply for us. Um, but we're getting smarter about what markets to be in. And we're using, you know, data to understand where our sellers are, where which zip codes we need to be in. in. And we did close a handful of stores, um, you know, earlier this year, last year. And not because they weren't working, but because some of these markets just didn't do well post-COVID. So yeah. um, San Francisco is one of them. And, you know, we really wanted to keep San Francisco open. I, you know, I'm I live in San Francisco. I love San Francisco. Um, I know San Francisco will get back to where it needs to be, but the rent was honestly too high for, you know, for the traffic that was coming through. So we just had to make decisions like that. Chicago downtown was another one. Um, we'll probably open, you know, a store in San Francisco in more of a neighborhood location versus downtown. So just kind of recalibrating is what we did to make sure we're on this track to be profitable, profitable growth. And um, we had to look at our store fleet as well. And we're going to look at that every year and make sure that we're opening and closing in the right spots, you know, and optimizing in that way. But 
super bullish on stores and um, will con- that'll continue to be um, a growth uh, trajectory for us. But I will say we're not going to be the brand that has 500 stores ever, right? Like this is yes. this is like 50 stores at the most probably over the next, you know, five, 10 years. So when we talk about opening one to two a year. That makes sense. Tell me about profitable growth, something you've mentioned a couple of times. Um, and again, you've been with the company forever. You've since, um, you you went through the whole going public process. Tell me about how that's changed the company in a nutshell. Yes. I mean, it's was so awesome. It was, you know, we're glad that we went public when we did pre-COVID because I don't think we could have gone post. Um, and, you know, it's, it's been really great. It's been a really great learning um, experience. Um, the company was really able to up-level the team um, through that. And we went from startup to a public company. And I think it's made us better. So it's really cool because, you know, you have your earnings calls, you're meeting with investors and analysts, and they're poking at things, they're, you know, trying to understand the data. And it's, really cool to have that real-time feedback. Um, I really enjoy those conversations because, you know, we always talk about how there's like three to five things that come out of them that are aha moments or good, good conversation. You're talking to a lot of smart people. And so it's been, it's been really great. And we, you know, continue, there's always the pressure, you know, piece of it that, um, and our, and our biggest opportunity and challenge is profitability, you know, can resale be profitable? We believe it can be. Um, And not to make excuses, but we did have COVID, we did have the great resignation, you know, there was things that set us back big time, and now we're back on track. And so um, we're really focused on that this year. And we've made a lot of progress in Q1 earnings, which I'm not sure um, if you were able to listen to, we're really proud of that. And you beat um, expectations. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And so we want to continue that this year. And, uh, you know, the team is re-energized by what we're all seeing. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people, there's naysayers, right? We've got convertible debts out. Can we refinance? All valid concerns. Um, but we we believe that we can based on what we're seeing. So it's it's exciting. Nice. What are you guys saying in terms of the timeline of like how long it will take to become profitable? And and what does it take? Because like you mentioned, I mean, this was pandemic height of the pandemic. You've closed some stores. There was some again, right tracking with the with the with the staff. Um, there was uh, you updated your your brands and product. Uh, what else does it take? And and yeah, how long we've got here? Yeah. Um, so what we're seeing publicly right now is that um, next year we will be profitable full year on a full year basis. Um, and I will say that, you know, besides the product mix, like you talked about, we really rejiggered the business in a lot of ways, right? Like we had to kind of zoom out and say, what are we doing? Um, we took, took a look at the product mix. We, uh, looked at our OPEX. We did have to have, um, a couple of layoffs. Um, we had actually four layoffs. So, you know, that was really, really tough. Um, but hoping behind us now, um, and then, you know, looked at our store fleet, of course, our real estate, did we need as much real estate as we had? We took a look at that. 
And now it's just discipline and execution. So we rejiggered the business. Um, it was really a reset year last year to figure out what we needed to do, really a focus on mid to high value product, because that's um, the right kind of product mix for our business. And uh, again, now we're just, you know, managing and executing and making sure that our OPEX, our operating expenses are in line and um, the team has what they need to continue to grow our consigned business. And that's really important because both businesses were growing our consigned business and our buy business. And now we're just focused on our consigned business. Um, so make, make sure that our team has what they need to kind of optimize uh, in that way while investing in our seller experience, like we talked about. Awesome. Tell me about as the, a leader, a big leader in the company. Um, and you mentioned Julie a couple of times. Is John, John is still in, in place. He's the yeah. CEO right now. Tell yeah. me about those changes, kind of keeping the team, I don't know, on task, positive, uh, spirits up. It's, it's hard for every company. <laughs> Economy's not great right now. I mean, there's challenges at every corner. But yeah, tell me about keeping the team, I don't know, in good, great spirits, yeah. focused, all yeah. the things. You know, I'd say um, it is hard right now and it was hard. And I think we're finally, you know, not on the other side yet at all, but I think we have a path there. And um, all we could do during this tough time, um, again, it, it hit during COVID and still and some instability and then rejiggering the whole business and through multiple layoffs um, was be extra transparent with the team. So after Julie left, um, Robert and I took over as co-CEOs for a few months. And it was really important to us that we over-communicated um, because I just wanted people to know they may not like everything that we're doing. And I totally understand that. And this is going to be hard. But I just wanted them to know what we were doing and why we were doing it. And, you know, one of our um, pillars is be real, be authentic, and I think be transparent, right? And so how are we looking at the data from where we're sitting um, to make the decisions that we're making? So we launched a series that we uh, did where we answered FAQs every month and super just business talk, talk show style, no script, just talked about what we're seeing and what's happening, what's on our mind, what's keeping us up, uh, you know, at night. and um, and being vulnerable, right? And so that we don't have all the answers, but we're going to do the best we can for you all. And so that we can get this company to where it needs to go. Um, so that was really great. And, you know, we missed Julie. She was awesome. Vision CEO. I think I can't remember if you've talked to her in the past as well. Um, and John's great as well. His background of eBay versus luxury and even Marcus is really good for us and really good for the real, real. And, um, you know, his experience um, as far as other revenue streams and what else can we be doing outside of our core business. Um, that's been really helpful and kind of on the horizon. So it's been a really great partnership. And, you know, I'm like I said, I'm re-energized and excited for what's to come. Amazing. You've got this loyal customer. We know that your app is addicting. <laughs> Tell me about winning new customers and if it, market what you're doing in terms of marketing and what's working. Yeah, that's another place where we joke that everything old is new again, because we started by targeting certain zip codes 
um, with direct mail. And it was just a piece of beautiful mail with a, you know, beautiful product on it. And we send it to certain areas and we're doing that a lot of that again. Um, TV targeting in a more localized manner as well. The uh, sales team bring in a ton of new um, sellers just based on their relationships and what they what they are doing every day. And then our stores, um, 30% of our sellers, new sellers come from our stores. So that is a great avenue for supply and new. So all of that. And we continue, you know, our, our marketing team's awesome. They're performance marketers. Um, they're always optimizing and tweaking and continuing to bring in that new to kind of, um, you know, grow our, our active base and our active seller base. So, and then we're trying to do, uh, you know, we're really investing in our, our consigners that we have now, right. And making sure that they are happy, happier with us. So how do we decrease like our one and done rate? What, what does that look like? Um, so we're able, because we're not growing 30, 40, 50% some years, um, with unprofitable product. And we've slowed that growth down, um, in our consigned business. Now we can be much more proactive and, um, much more efficient in how we're thinking about growing the business and growing our sellers. So we're being much more strategic and mindful about it. And it's, it's, yeah, it's exciting. When you're targeting different zip codes, are you, are you also looking at like average household income or is it like, we know this demo age range, whatever is kind of prime prime area for us. Key a key customer. What else are you looking at? Yeah, so it's both, um, and yeah. it's looking at our our customer base now. So we have twenty five million members now. Um, I might be more than that now, and so we have um, millions of members. It's where are they? Um, it's household income. It's, you know, do they like luxury or not? Um, is this something that they'd be interested in? Uh, age range, um, all of that kind of factors into where we open a store too, and what that looks like, where are our luxury managers having the most success. So we'll test a market with a luxury manager and salesperson. We will test a market with a pop-up or satellite event um, where we'll just be up for two, three days and uh, collect consignment and send a local, uh, um, you know, ad out um, in, in a few different ways. And if that does really well for us, then we're, you know, we're thinking, okay, we may need to store in this zip code. So we'll kind of test our way into it. And, um, you know, there's a few hundred zip codes that are really important um, for what we do. And so we want to make sure that we're kind of saturated um, in that way. So a, a lot of different things. But um, again, we joke that everything old is new again, because direct mail is working, TV is working, radio. <laughs> it's <laughs> true. The, yeah. It's true. Oh my, is your closet amazing? We should have done this in your closet. <laughs> you should have come over. Well, not right now, because if I saw, if you saw my room right now, everything's just on the floor and I'm packing and it's embarrassing. So, <laughs> oh, oh my God. Well, um, anything else that you, in terms of challenges weighing on your mind right now? I mean, top of mind for you, what are you working on? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, what we, what we talked about, it's uh, making sure that, you know, I want to prove to all the naysayers that this resale can be profitable. I think if we pave the way, it's great for the resale business in general and all the companies out there. 
in our space. If, if, you know, they do well, if we do well, we all do well. So that's really important. Um, really focused on seller experience. Like we talked about, um, other revenue streams, how else can we be looking at the business? Um, and you know, some more fun things coming, uh, on there as well. And then, you know, just leveraging our technology and making sure again, not only for the seller experience, but operationally, uh, you know, this could be a high cost business and we continue to bring down the costs via machine learning, um, and AI and will continue. And the roadmap is, um, quite exciting for that as well. Oh my gosh. I will just squeeze all your time while I have you a couple more little questions because I'm a fashion fanatic. Um, it's just funny. Like uh, any funny fa- factoids about what's like, I guess seeing like mini spikes, for instance, like Pharrell had the Louis Vuitton show. Do you see a bump in Louis Vuitton? We just did a story. I did a story, which I was like, why is nobody writing about this? And I just called out that um, Louis Vuitton's never full tote. Now you have to get on a wait list to buy it. And that will like swept the nation. It was like the biggest story we've had in months. And and I'm sure that's great for you. Like if you have those totes, they can just buy it now. Um, but yeah, what what's where are you seeing some fun movement? Yeah. Um, you know, well, now that everyone's getting back out there, you know, ready to wear shoes on fire. Um, so much fun stuff right now. The biggest thing that's really interesting is fair condition. And I always say that fashion has, you know, is a result of the macro and the financial times. But as people are starting to tighten up, these things, these items that look a little more beat up are cool. And so even, you know, a beat up Birkin or a beat up handbags, uh, we're seeing a lot of that. But the Pharrell piece, yes, whenever... Whenever a designer sees uh, has a great show like that, um, or a brand has a great show like that, we see search go up right away. Our dynamic pricing is able to pick that up. Um, you know, when Phoebe, Fi- I always use this one because it's an easy one, but when Phoebe Philo left Celine, of that Phoebe Philo stuff, like the pricing on that soared, and sure. everyone was trying to get a piece of it. So. Whenever there's movement, we see it right away and mostly in search and then obsessions data as well on the site. Oh my gosh, that's so fun. Well, I'll be following you. I will be writing about your profitability when it happens. <laughs> well, we'll celebrate. <laughs> yes. Thank you so, so much for being here and for all your time. This was so fun. This was so fun. Thank you so much, Jill. It was lovely to see you as always. You too. That's all for this episode. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Be sure to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to The Glossy Podcast. See you next week.